0: Alright, before we go to our uh, passage I want to cover in Matthew chapter 3, I want to read one verse to you in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So we see right there very clearly that the life that Jesus lived, it wasn't, the Bible didn't put these stories there just so we would have some good stories. These things are there. The things that Jesus did in His life during His time on earth, they were there as an example to us. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to follow His steps. And in Matthew chapter 3, in the beginning of the chapter, we see the story of John the Baptist. He's preaching. Uh, he was the one that Isaiah prophesied about. John the Baptist is preaching, hey, there's one coming after me that's better than me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He, uh, he was the, that's talking about Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was not the main guy. Jesus was the main guy, but in this story, we see how um, Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And look what it says. We'll start reading in verse 13. It says, "...then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right, What we see right here kicks off Jesus' ministry. For the first 30 years of his life, he lived a very ordinary life. He lived the life of a carpenter's son. He lived just a, an ordinary life of the of a Jew, with one exception, and that was that he never sinned one time during his entire life. But here we see Jesus, he comes before he kicks off his ministry, before the Bible records any miracles that he did, before we uh, see him preaching anything, the first thing that we see Jesus do in the story is get baptized. And the title of my message today is, I'm saved, now what? Right, I'm saved, now what? Alright, right, what am I supposed to do? You know what? A person, you know, people need to get saved. That is the most important thing you can do is get saved. But you know what? After you get saved, God wants you to do some things. Now, these things don't determine whether or not you will go to heaven. Okay, that's already settled. When you call on the Lord for salvation, you got that settled. You're on your way to heaven and nothing can change that. But you know what? We can do some things to earn some rewards in heaven. We can live in a way that's pleasing to God. We can live in a way that shows that we love God. And I believe that we ought to follow His example. And I think in chapter 3 and 4, we see a great example of some things in Jesus' life that we can expect to come into the life of a Christian. And we see that the first, very first thing that Jesus did is He gets baptized. See? Now, notice Jesus didn't get saved. Okay, obviously that's the first thing we need to do, right? But notice how Jesus, Jesus never got saved, Jesus never needs saved. Jesus was the Savior. But notice how Jesus Christ, he still got baptized. Okay? Jesus, if if baptism saved you, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to be baptized because Jesus never sinned. Jesus, you know, some people say, well, the baptism it washes away your sins. Well then why did Jesus get baptized? He had no sin. There was no sin in Christ. But Jesus said, hey, you know, John's thinking, I'm not not even worthy to baptize you. But Jesus said, hey, I need you to do this. Suffer to be so. Because this needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. This is something that people are supposed to do. And so Jesus is setting an example. And so, after a person gets saved, okay? And when we get saved, the Bible teaches that we receive the righteousness of Christ. Now, that righteousness that we have... It has nothing to do with anything we have done. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. We have been credited with His righteousness, but notice Jesus in His life, even though He was already righteous, one of the things that Jesus did was He got baptized. And a person, when they get saved, they ought to get baptized. It identifies them with Jesus Christ. Why do we do it if it doesn't get us to heaven? We are publicly identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. Jesus got baptized. Our baptism that we do, it is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of that. Jesus is the only one who ever died and was buried and rose again. You know, no, you know Islam cannot take baptism from us. It has nothing to do with Muhammad because he never did rise again. It has nothing to do with any other God. Baptism is exclusively something that identifies you with Christ. Now, are there false religions and stuff that, you know, have copycatted it and have messed up? Yes, but you know what? That doesn't mean we're going to throw it out. We're just going to do it the right way. We're going to do it after salvation. We're going to do it by immersion, just like happened with Jesus Christ. We're trying to follow His example. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 8. In verse twenty six, baptism is exclusively for those who are saved. That's why we don't baptize babies. Okay? Babies, you know, they they can't make that choice of salvation. That's something that comes later. You don't get baptized until after you get saved. It says in Acts eight, twenty six. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Have you ever been out there before and the Holy Spirit told you, hey, go witness to that person, go speak to that person? That's kind of what happened right here with Philip. Here's the guy reading the Bible. And he's saying, "Hey, go witness to that guy." You know why? Because just reading's not enough. They people need a preacher. They need somebody to explain things to them. And so he tells him, "Go speak to him." And Philip ran thither to him. All right, and this is what some of us do whenever God tells us to go speak to somebody. We walk in slow motion. You know, hopefully they get up and leave before I get there. But no, man, he jumped at the opportunity. He ran to that guy. He ran to him before he takes off and leaves in his chariot. And he and he, uh, he ran him and he said, uh and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest. And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired filth that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this He was led as a sheep before uh, or as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he said, Hey, I want to get baptized. He heard the story of Jesus. Philip preached Jesus to him. And so he obviously hears about baptism somewhere in there. And he's saying, Hey, I need to do that. What does hinder me to be baptized? Okay, what is it that would stop somebody from being able to be baptized? There is something. And right here he says, then Philip um, or I lost my spot, verse 37, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Why did he say that? because the Bible says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved you don't, get sa- you don't get baptized until you get saved you get saved and then you get baptized Okay, and then right here he said and, I, and he said I believe that Christ, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him see right there how this man he got saved and what did he want to do? he wanted to follow in his steps But before Philip would baptize him, he wanted to make sure this man was actually saved first. And he said, do you you believe with all your heart? And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he went down and he baptized him after he had confessed with his mouth the Lord Jesus. Showing that he believed in his heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And because of that, Philip knew he was saved. Just like Romans 10 teaches. And the first thing a person needs to do after they get saved, they need to get baptized. They need to publicly identify themselves with Christ. The last thing we need are saved people going around acting like their salvation is based on their works and based on something that they have done, based on their goodness. But when we get baptized, what we're doing is we're identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. We're giving Him the glory for our salvation. We're giving Him the credit for our salvation. We're not crediting our works for these things. We're crediting Jesus Christ and our, it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that paid for our sins and made a way to heaven for us. And so it is very appropriate and it is very biblical for us, after we get saved, to testify to everyone else that, hey, my salvation is based on the work of Jesus Christ and I'm signifying it with this baptism. And it does that baptism doesn't save you, just like my wedding ring does not make me married. But you know what it does? It tells everybody else that I'm married. It's a public... Testament, people see this and they know what it means. And I know there's false religions out there that have perverted what baptism is, but we know what baptism is here. And so we're going to do it the right way, understanding what it teaches and what it promotes and what it professes. And I believe that's the first thing a person needs to do. And so, uh, you know, notice too, and this is kind of a side note. I think it's interesting because, well, what baptisms count? All right, you know, who should we go to to be baptized? Well, notice we're not going to go through and read all the passages on it, but notice Jesus went to John the Baptist. Alright? He said, Well, you know, is it the Baptist's name that counts? Well, here's what counts is are they preaching the truth? He went to a guy who was preaching the truth. Go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter three, verse one. In those came, came John, days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This was a guy who was preaching the truth. And notice in uh, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, in verse 7, and it says, And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What ye went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. He's basically saying, hey, who'd you go out in the wilderness to see? I know you didn't go out to see Pastor Trendy that gets blown around with every wind of doctrine, a reed shaken in the wind. I know you didn't go to see Pastor Trendy who dresses like a homo. He said, you know, you didn't go to see somebody dressed in soft clothing. They went to the guy with the camel hair and the leather girdle. That's who they went to. They went out there to go see a man who was out there not being all soft and gentle and, you know, all, all friendly and nice. No, they went to a guy out there that was proclaiming the truth like a man. That's who they went to see. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about right here. But what when you have to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. Which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so I just think it's interesting how Jesus he went to the best to get baptized. He went to John the Baptist. And you know who you ought to go to to get baptized? You ought to go to the best church in your area. You ought to go to the place that's preaching the truth, that's doing it right, that's preaching salvation by grace through faith, that's practicing baptism by immersion. Go to a church that's got a real man being a pastor and not some flamboyant little you know, soft clothing wearer like Jesus was talking about right there. That's not who you go to. You go to a real man of God. That's exactly what Jesus did. So, you know, we're going to follow His example. Those are the kind of preachers we're going to have. You know, we're going to have we're going to have the manly parries in here in a couple weeks, all right? And you'll see why they call them manly Perry. Right? you know, it's got a beard that you know that you know any man would admire. You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't pull off a beard like that. You know, real men, not some of these just little you know just limp wristed weenies that just that make me sick. I just watched one this morning, Ben Shetler. He goes around. He's wearing this purple shirt. Just you know, got this weird, you know, just girly hair. Talks to the list. Just disgusting. You know, trying to teach how we can you reach out to the homos. It's like looks like the homos reached out to you, and it looks like they got you. That's what it looks like to me. That's not who we're trying to listen to. All right, we're going to go to the John the Baptist. We're going to go to the real men of God. We're going to. That's who we ought to go after. But unfortunately today, we've got this new, wimpy, scissified generation that wants to, that's flocking to these people, and that's ridiculous. And it's time for people to stand up and forget about being politically correct and just calling these people what they are. Just flaming weirdos. And we ought to stay away from them. Don't go to their churches. Don't fall for that stuff. Go someplace where there's a real man. That's who Jesus went to. Jesus had words to say about guys who wore effeminate clothing. And that's not what John the Baptist was. Jesus wouldn't have went to these guys' churches. And you know what? I'm not going to go to them either. No, there's no, absolutely no way. So look at chapter 4. Alright, so the first thing, Jesus he, went, he, he got baptized. He went to a real man of God to be baptized. Somebody who was preaching the truth. Somebody who looked and acted like a man. And then notice what happens in chapter 4. And we don't have time to go through all this passage, but you all know the story. This is where he went and he was tempted of the devil. For 40 days after he got baptized, he went and he was tempted of the devil. We see the devil try to get him to turn the stone into bread, try to get him to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. He offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would bow down and he would worship him. Jesus just kept combating him with Scripture. He just kept hitting him with Scripture. After 40 days of eating and drinking nothing, Jesus did this. He faced this great temptation. And let me tell you something. Mark it down. I tell people this all the time. When you get saved and when you get baptized, mark her down, the devil's going to come and tempt you. When the devil sees you make that first step of obedience, okay, he knows he already lost you when you got saved. Okay? There is no chance of you spending eternity with him in hell. He knows that. But you know what? As long as you're just going to be quiet about it and not do anything with it, then he doesn't really have anything to worry about. But the last thing he needs is a person who gets saved to start following in his steps, in Christ's steps, and to start doing what he said to do. When he sees you take that first step, now he's afraid you're going to take the second step. So you know what's going to happen? When you get baptized, I tell everybody this, mark it down, the devil's going to attack you. He's going to come after you. He's going to bring temptation your way. He's going to bring persecution your way. Your family's going to start calling you a religious fanatic. They're going to start messing with you. They're going to give you a hard time. You're going to have temptations on your job. You're going to have, you might have marriage problems. You might get sick. You might get diagnosed with something really bad. Just mark it down. Satan's coming for you when he sees you get baptized. He does it all the time. And Jesus Christ, after he got baptized, he went to be tempted like you and I will never be tempted. Jesus was able to overcome these things. you know what? He'll help us overcome these things too, but you're going to have to have some faith. You better learn some Scripture. Jesus, He combated Satan with Scripture, but you can mark it down. The devil's going to tempt you. Look what it says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 19. It says, "...for this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently?" But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. You know, who cares if you have a good attitude about going to jail when you deserve to go to jail? You know, you ought to have a good attitude when you get punished. Don't we want that from our kids? Don't we get mad at our kids when we tell them you're getting spanked and they throw a fit? You know, when they get spanked, we want them to have a good attitude about it. You know, kids are like, that's nuts, mom and dad. But did you know that when you do, when you have a good attitude about a punishment that you deserve, there's nothing special about you for that. But if you have a good attitude when you're getting punished for something you don't deserve, that's something to be commended right there. That, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it? When you've buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even here were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes He were healed." for you were a sheep going astray but now uh, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls so we see that part of living a christian life means we're going to suffer we're going to have temptations we're going to have hard times but you know what jesus christ left us an example jesus christ he suffered jesus christ was tempted jesus christ was battled by the devil but you know and he did it and he, there was no guile in his mouth he never sinned and he he will help us Do the same thing. I'm not saying any of us are going to be perfect. None of us are perfect after we get saved and after we get baptized. But we don't have to be defeated by Satan. Whatever you face, if you do, if you get saved and you get baptized and the devil comes along and he starts tormenting you and persecuting you, don't think that something weird's happening. All right? This is normal. He does this with everybody. And he even did it with Jesus. But you know what? Jesus did the right thing. It says in First Thessalonians 3, 4, "...for verily when we were with you, we told you before that, ye, that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and so our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. I tell you, right here, I understand what Paul's saying. He's, He's telling these people, hey, we told you tribulation was going to come, and you know what? It came. Exactly what we said was going to happen, it happened. The tempter came. He tempted you, but you know what? Timotheus, he came and he visited us, and he gave us a report. He said that you guys are wanting to see us just like we're wanting to see you. That you all have stayed faithful. And let me tell you, one of my greatest joys as a pastor is when I see people, they get saved, they get baptized, and then the devil comes along and starts beating them, beating up on them. And a lot of times, there's not there's not that much you can do. Sometimes you have to sit back and watch and you just pray for these people and you hope they have the faith and you hope they have the strength to get through it. And when you see them come through it, boy, it feels good. It really gets you excited. It gets you motivated. hey, they didn't give up. Man, the devil hit them hard. Man, these are new Christians. They don't know a whole lot yet. And the devil is coming at them with everything he's got. And they're staying faithful anyway. Boy, that is so refreshing as a pastor. And as a Christian, when you see other Christians, you go, they go through those hard times. They endure that temptation just like Jesus did. That's exciting. That is very motivating. And there will be temptations and there will be suffering if you choose to follow Christ. Just mark it down. Some people, it's like they get saved, they get baptized, saying this will make my life easier. Well, I believe in the long run it will, but you're going to have to get through that temptation of the devil first. And it's not going to be easy. I'm not promising easy stuff. In fact, I'll promise you tribulation. I'll promise you hard times. I'll promise you temptations. But you know what? I also promise you Jesus will be there with you. If you follow Him, He'll help you get through it. I can promise you that too. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, "...the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be, glorified, be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the, with the glory which shall be revealed in us." So that suffering of a believer, that suffering that you're going to go through, that that suffering is nothing compared to what God is going to bless you with if you get through it. You know, Satan, he promised Jesus some things. Would Satan have delivered on those promises? Probably not, knowing the devil. But even if he did, it would have been nothing compared to what Jesus has coming and to what Jesus is going to get. And you know what? That's the attitude we need to have. While we might be suffering right now on this earth... While these sufferings aren't any fun, it's nothing compared to what's going to be revealed to us someday. I tell people all the time that, you know, none of us would like digging ditches for a living. None of, us, none of us would like, I would not enjoy that one bit, just digging a ditch with a shovel. Forget that. But you know, if I was getting paid a couple hundred dollars an hour, give me the shovel. I'll go do it. Hey, if the payout's good enough, I'll, I'll, I'll endure it. I'll, I'll, do so, I'll dig a ditch. I'll dig a ditch if the pay is good enough and you know what the suffering that we deal with as Christians it is it's tough sometimes but let me tell you the lord's going to make it worth our time he's going to make it worth our while and we have we have no idea what we're in for if we'll just have faith and do what he said to do so just stick with it don't give up the suffering it's normal you're just you're, you know what you're doing you're fo- this this ought to tell you you're following his steps i got saved i got baptized like jesus and now i'm being tempted by the devil He's not happy. The devil knew that he was in big trouble if Jesus began his ministry and started preaching to other people. And he did everything in his power to stop him. He'll do everything in his power to stop you too. So the truth is too, even if you're not a Christian, you're still going to suffer. The okay? Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. But you're going to suffer with nothing to look forward to. You all see it, realize that? The suffering we have as Christians, it comes with great promises. But the suffering that the world does, and trust me, they're all suffering. Why do you think they're all drugged up and drunk all the time and all medicated up and all these things? It's because they're suffering. And they have nothing to look forward to as a result of it. Nothing. Would you rather have that? You know, common sense says, I'd rather suffer as a Christian. Like Moses, who would rather suffer the affliction of Christ than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He was thinking of the future. So it's like, well, what if I give into temptation? All right, because yeah, okay, Jesus didn't give into temptation, but what if I give into temptation? First John chapter two verse one says, "Little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, and that might ha- that's going to happen sometimes. All right, when you do, when you go, and you're tempted by the devil, there may be times when you fall. Okay, a, a, right, a just man falls seven times. There's going to be times when you fall and here's what the devil does. When a person gets saved, they get baptized and they go and they're trying to live for the Lord and Satan, he likes to come along and what does he do? He likes to trip them up and get them to fall on their face. And then you know what he does? He has all of his minions, he has all of his people that, are, that we're surrounded by come along saying, you know, you never even really got saved. You're right back in the same mess that you were before you got saved, you didn't really get it. And then all of a sudden, these people get discouraged. I tried the best I could, and I didn't get it. I obviously didn't get it. I'm still not saved. And then they give up. They don't think about religion anymore. And part of the problem is these people are being taught this, you know, if you don't change your life, you're not really saved. Not understanding that because Jesus Christ didn't give into the temptation... Because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, we can still be saved. See, while we often fail, while we often mess up, we can still be saved because Jesus didn't mess up. See, once again, our salvation is based on His righteousness, not our righteousness. And so you know what? If we do, if we're going along and we fail and we fall flat on our faith, we have Jesus Christ as our Advocate. While the devil, the accuser, of the brethren, he says, look at them, they fell on their face. We have Jesus Christ as our advocate who steps forward and says, but you know what? Devil, you didn't get me to sin. They've received my righteousness. They've put their faith and trust in me. So yeah, they fell on their face, but you know what? I never did fall on my face. I didn't turn the stone into bread. I didn't jump from the pinnacle of the temple. I didn't bow the knee to you. And so you know what? They're still good. They're still covered. And you know what? We need to make sure we teach people that, that they understand that. And when a person who is saved does mess up and they do fall on their face, you know what we do? We remind them of this verse right here. And we help pick them up and we help restore these people and say, alright, let's do this again. And when we do, the devil's going to come along and he's going to tempt again. But you know what? Well, let's learn from that mistake. But if you do, if in that temptation, if you mess up, if you fall, you flop out of church for a while, Okay, God's not done with you. You're right. You're still on your way to heaven. You're getting into heaven on his righteousness. But you know what you need to do? You need to follow in his steps. Alright, let's let's just do this again. Let's just try this again. Just confess your sin to him. He's already forgiven you of it, and go on. But the devil he's going to tempt. Because he endured temptation, I can still stay saved even if I don't endure temptation. That's exciting right there. So then look at verse eleven. Look at verse eleven of Matthew chapter five or four. Verse 11, so after he endures all this temptation, it says, then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Notice the ministering of angels that took place right there. You know what? When you are fighting that temptation as a believer, you need, i just mark it down, you need someone ministering to you. Even Jesus needed someone to minister to him and help him after he endured that temptation. And you know what? You need to be ministered to to, too. You need to be in church. You need to be around the preaching of God. You need to be around the people of God. You need to surround yourself with people who will love you, who will pray for you, who will lift you up, who will tell you the truth. You need to surround yourself with people like that. That's what Even Jesus needed some help. He needed some ministering to after He endured that temptation. And the reason many people fail and they never do anything for God, they get saved, but then they don't go to church. They're not around the people of God. Nobody's ministering to them. They're forsaking the assembling of themselves. As Hebrews 10.25 talks about, they're not hearing preaching from the Word of God regularly. They're not being taught the Word of God. And so they, they keep falling into sin. Many times because they don't know it's a sin. They don't understand that there's a reason for all the problems that they have in their life. And they're not hearing any preaching. They're not getting any instruction from the the Scriptures to help them with these things. And so what do they do? They just keep on struggling. They're struggling and they're miserable and they're unhappy. They're not accomplishing anything. The problem is nobody's ministering to them. There's nothing wrong with you admitting that you need ministered to. That you need someone to help you. We all have our days when we're down and we're tired, and we need we need that person lifting us up and holding us up. And that is one of the reasons that God gave the church. When Hebrews chapter ten, I preached through Hebrews ten a while back. We see that there was a lot of things that changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We quit sacrificing animals. We don't do that anymore. We don't we don't observe the feast. Jesus completed all those things. But one of the things that teaches in Hebrews ten. That they were not to change. That they were not to forsake. And that was the assembling. The assembling was going on in the Old Testament. They would assemble together. They would read the Scriptures together. They would worship together. That happened in the Old Testament. And He said, not forsaking the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people, while they had realized certain things went away, they decided, you know what? Assembling's going away too. But no, the writer of Hebrews said, no, don't forsake that. And so much the more do that. You know what? We need it even more today. We need it more than just once a week. We need to be ministered to. Even Jesus needs to be ministered to. And you know what? You need to be a part of a church. A person that gets saved, they need to get in church. Do you have to go to church to go to heaven? No. But do you have to go to church to be a good Christian? Do you have to go to church to follow in His steps? Yes. Yes, you do. You need to be in church. You need to be in the house of God. That's all there is to it. You need someone ministering to. I don't need ministering to. Well, you know what? Other people need to be ministered to. Let me tell you, how many people are you ministering to on a regular basis outside of church when it comes to Christian things? Your neighbors? I don't see a whole lot of that going on in our culture today. Your co-workers? No. You know where we minister to the saints? Where the saints hang out. This is our hangout. Alright? The church this is where we come together and we minister to each other. And you might think you're strong and you're all renegade. You can just do it all on your own, but you know what? Most of us can't. And if you don't need us, we need you. And you know what? Jesus didn't have an attitude. If Jesus' attitude was just thinking about himself, he'd have never went to the cross. That was not his attitude. We're supposed to follow his steps. You need to get over yourself. And you need to start being faithful to the house of God. You need to get around the people of God. And if you don't need, think you need to minister to, then you need to come and you need to minister to other people. That is an attitude like Jesus Christ had. 2 Timothy 4 2. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering in doctrine. Who's he supposed to do that to? He's supposed to do it to the church. To the congregation, you all need the preaching of God. That's one of my jobs. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, those, are, those, uh, chapters are written to seven churches and to the angels of the seven churches. Or angels sometimes just means a messenger. Okay, it's not always a heavenly being. It's a messenger. And you know what? You all need a messenger, a preacher. And that's what I try to be to you, to preach something from the Word of God that will be a help to you, to minister to you, to help make a difference in your life. So we see first, of course, Jesus never needed to get saved. He was already saved, but we see before he started his ministry, he got baptized. After he got baptized, he was tempted by the devil. After he was tempted by the devil, he was ministered to by angels. But then after that, after he's been ministered to, after he's been helped, after he's been strengthened and lifted up, look what it says in verse, verse 12 of uh, Matthew chapter 4. It says, Now when Jesus had heard uh, John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. Which is upon the sea coast and the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and in them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach, and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Interestingly enough, that's exactly what John preached. In chapter 3, you know what Jesus did after He went through all those things, after He endured that temptation, after He had been ministered to? He went soul winning. He went preaching the Gospel. He went trying to win people preaching the same thing that John preached. The exact same thing. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's exactly what John preached. And so you know what? One thing that we're not supposed to do as believers, we're not supposed to come up with a new message. The message that I preach is the message that was preached to me. And the message that was preached to me was the message that was preached to them. And it goes all the way back to the message of Jesus Christ. That message is in the Word of God. The way of salvation. It is right there. And we see that that is what Jesus preached. And we're not here. We don't get saved so we can you know, get baptized, you know, face the temptations, get ministered to, and then go start our own new cult somewhere. And then start our own new religion. No, we preach the same thing And that's what Jesus did. And He went out and He preached the Gospel. Galatians chapter 1, and verse 6 says, "...I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another Gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the Gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other Gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have received, let him be accursed. For I, Do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Paul preached came from Jesus Christ. That needs to be the same thing that we are preaching today. And one of the things that we see as a believer, God wants us spreading the Gospel. God wants us out there winning souls to Christ. That is our job as a Christian. If we're going to follow His steps, you know what we've got to do? We've got to be preaching the Gospel to somebody. We've got to be telling somebody how to get get saved. Jesus went from town to town, anywhere He could, and He preached the Gospel to people. That is what we're supposed to do. And then in verse 18 through 25, we're not going to read the passage. After Jesus does this, after Jesus endures that temptation, after he's been ministered to, he goes and he preaches the gospel. And then after he does this, in verses 18 through 25 of Matthew chapter 4, he goes and he calls his 12 disciples. You know what he did? He started recruiting disciples. You read through there, you'll see. He goes and he, he, uh, he gets all His disciples together. And then, what did they do? He, got, he sent them out to spread the Gospel. You know what He did? He did the work Himself, but then He multiplied it. He taught other people to do the same thing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, "...the things which thou hast learned among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also." One of the things that we are supposed to do as a church, we're not only supposed to just spread the gospel as far and wide as we can so people can get saved, but we want to get these people who get saved. We want to get whoever we can, and we want to train them to go win souls. You know what we're doing? We're doing like Jesus did. We're trying to get disciples. Not because we want people following after us. okay, But like Paul, we're wanting them to follow us as we follow Christ. What we're trying to do is we're trying to multiply our efforts. I can only do so much. I can only pastor one church. But you know what, I'll, but I, what I can do? I could train some other guys to become pastors, to preach the same things that I'm preaching, and then they can go and pastor other churches. And now, even more work is being done. Even more is being accomplished. We've got multiplication going on. And that last thing we see Jesus doing in Matthew chapter five, uh, 4, is recruiting disciples. And that's what we've got to do. You know what you need to do? You need to go out and you need to win somebody to Christ. And you know what else you need to do? You need to find somebody in the church that you can be an example to, that you can help be a good Christian, that you could teach things to, that you could mentor. You know, there's a, there's a lot of saved people here in town that don't go to church. A lot. I talk to them out door knocking sometimes. And they'll give me a clear plan of salvation. I'll ask them where they're going to church or not going to church. You know what? These people, many times they got saved, but nobody ever ministered to them. They never grew. Nobody ever worked with them. And nobody ever trained them. And taught them to be a disciple and a follower of Christ. And that gathering of disciples was something that Jesus did. And the disciples, they became the first church planters. And you know what? God still calls disciples out of congregations today to start other churches. Eventually, that's what we want to do. I want our church to grow. I don't, I don't care how big our church gets, but, gets, but you know what? Ultimately, my, our, my goal isn't to build this massive church, but it's to start other churches. That's what I want to do. You know, we've already knocked all the doors in Sterling and Rock Falls. We went out and did Walnut yesterday, which is pretty far from here. Knocked doors there. We've been hitting some of the surrounding towns, just trying to get to trying to get to new areas. But you know, there are some places that are just they're too far. And there's no soul winning churches there. So you know what I would rather do? I would rather, hey, let's send somebody out there to start a church. We're not going to get many people from the quad cities to come drive out here to church church every week. You know, I think they should. But we're not going to get that many probably that are going to do it, or from Chicago, places like that. And so we've got to we've got to multiply our efforts. We've got to train up disciples. We are to follow his steps. The stories that are in the Bible about Jesus, they are there for a reason. He's setting an example. We're supposed to apply these things to our life and we're supposed to follow them. We're supposed to do our best to be like Christ. But you know what? When, if and when you fail, we can be thankful that where we lack, Jesus Christ makes up the difference. So at the end of the day, you might never even get to the baptism part. You'll still go to heaven. Because Jesus got baptized. You might get baptized, but you might fall flat on your face in temptation. But you know what? You'll still go to heaven because Jesus didn't give in temptation. Jesus did all the things that we often fail to do. But that doesn't mean that we should just give up. That doesn't mean we should just take advantage of the grace of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I don't know about you, but I love them. And you, know, you don't have to love Jesus to go to heaven. A lot of people don't love Him that are saved. And they prove it because they don't do anything to follow His Word. It doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they don't love Him. We, if, if we ought to love Him. We ought to show our love for Him and say, you know what, I'm going I'm to learn from these things. I want to find out what to do next. Too many people are sitting in churches today trying to figure out what God's will is for their life. And they're not willing to do the very simple things that the Bible teaches. Like getting baptized. Like being a soul winner. They're constantly failing every day in their life. They're not even they're not even enduring temptation. They're just rolling over and letting the temptations have their way with them. Hey, if you want to do something for Christ, it's time to make an effort. It's time to get busy. It's time to do the things that He said to do. You're saved. Let's do something with it now. Okay? We are we're a church right here, and the last thing I want is a church full of just lame, pathetic Christians that don't give a rip about the things of God. If that happens, you might turn me into Pastor Trendy. And I'll be a little guy prancing around trying to entertain everybody, making everybody happy just to make sure I keep getting my paycheck. I might get some flamboyant guy in here that likes more effeminate preachers and gives a lot of money and I might get tempted to go to the pink shirts and all that stuff that these guys do. You know, I, Don't let that happen to me. All right, You know what? I want this to be a church. Of real Christians. Of people that love the Lord. I don't think that's asking too much. I don't think that's asking too much. I don't think we're legalistic as a church if we say, hey, can we have a requirement that the people that go to Liberty Baptist Church love the Lord? The Bible says if you love Him, keep His commandments. The Bible says that we should follow His steps. Here's some real clear things. Get baptized. Endure some temptations. Actually fight these things. Don't be like, oh, I'm orientated this way, so I'm just going to give in to it. No. Endure the temptation. Have some discipline. Go ahead. Endure suffering like Jesus Christ did. Go out and preach the gospel to somebody. Tell somebody how to get saved. Minister to somebody in the church. Do these things. These are the things that Jesus did. You did not get saved so you could just occupy 18 inches of pew. That's not why why we're here. We're here to do something for God and we need to get busy and do it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for Your example. Lord, we thank You so much for the assurance that wherever we lack, Lord, You make up for that. You did all these things. But dear God, I pray You will put a burden in the heart of everyone that is in here today, Lord, to want to follow your steps and to want to apply these things in their life and I pray that they will do these things they will implement them and Lord that you will help them be strong and that they will be successful in this effort Lord I pray that we'll be a church that gets a lot of people saved but also creates disciples so we can go out and start many more churches and see even more people get saved as a result we love you for all these things in your name we pray Amen let's go ahead